0: Hey! Do you like movies? You do? Then I bet you're already very familiar with our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. The company was started by cinephiles Joe Rubin and Ryan Emerson and was said to be, quote, perhaps the most important home video label in the world of genre film by the Alamo Draft House. Holy shit, that is one hell of an endorsement.
1: A big part of that is because of a three-step process I lovingly refer to as the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an expansive... Film archive of over 500 feature films, and they also work closely with archival institutions like the Museum of Modern Art, the Academy, yeah, MoMA, the Academy Film Archive, the Library of Congress, UCLA, and the Walker Center. I can't even count how many of their releases have either never gotten a physical release or haven't been seen since the days of VHS. Many of these films look better than they have any right to look.
0: My favorite thing about Vinegar Syndrome is that they have their own in-house lab, which they use to restore these films to all of their glory. I can honestly say that I have never seen any grain reduction or digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome was one of our first sponsors, and I'm overjoyed to say that they've stuck
1: with us for five years. I'm so surprised we stuck around for five years, to be completely I, honest with you. Uh,
0: that we've stuck with each other.
1: Yeah, I know. I really thought we'd be done after the first couple months in the first season. We're still keeping, baby. Yeah, we are. So check out their website today to pick up your copies of the Forgotten Jolly Collections 1, 2, and 3. Though one might be out of print, so if you see it, make sure you grab it. Satan's Blood, Fade to Black, a VHS favorite amongst a lot of cinephiles that was uh, unable to be released for a very long time. Taxi Girls, Don Coscarelli's Beastmaster, an HBO late-night favorite. The 3D film Silent Madness, and the weirdo French Christmas horror film Dial code santa claus aka deadly game and many many more visit them today
0: at vinegar and let them know that the shameless picture show sent you
1: that's right vinegar for all the cult horror exploitation and vintage porn you could ever want
0: however much that may be yeah exactly so hey, Michael, how have you been? It's <laughs> I've been, been a while. good.
1: I got. How some, was your
0: bathroom break? It was
1: good. I got some water. Uh, so out of curiosity, so I know it's been a yeah. while since you you haven't watched either of these films in a while. Was there one you were more excited to talk about?
0: I. I'll, I'll put it this way: the specificity of your question. If I take the literal, you know. Thing, I think I more, was more excited to talk about Vertigo, but I liked Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure more. Okay. Well, um,
1: Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, well, we'll talk about it, but it's just, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's hard not to like.
0: I, I think it's easier to, uh, this is one that I'm, every once in a while, we do one like this that I'm always worried. It's going to be like, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> I don't know how this one's going to go, so. but I
0: do have some actual notes, not a ton of notes, but I do actually have a few notes on this one, so.
1: All right, I don't have I any feel notes, better but prepared. I've seen this movie so many times, I know it like the back of my hand, and nice. um, I was really proud that back when our former house guest Emma was staying with us, she had never seen this movie, and okay. we watched all three while she was here.
0: I did also watch Bogus Journey. I have not yet watched Face the Music.
1: All right. Well, we can bring in Bogus Journey as well yeah. into this conversation. So I don't
0: have notes on that, but I do, like, I think I could uh, riff on it cool. a you little Cool. You can bit. do 45
1: minutes alone on Bogus Journey. Perfect. Yes! <laughs> okay. Uh, was there anything you wanted to talk about before I bastard this, this intro? Uh,
0: well... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of something that I can do to tick off another preamble, but uh, I'm coming up dry, so.
1: Did you see you seen any good movies?
0: <laughs> I have, actually, and I was going to bring it up later, but if you want to preamble it instead, I have seen a film that I would say, it has been a very long time since I have seen a film that I was as excited about as this
1: film. What movie was it?
0: Uh, I did want to pull it up so that I can get the title right. Was it Everything, everything everywhere, everywhere All At Once? That was
1: like the <laughs> best movie I've seen this year. So good! Joy?
2: Why do you look so stupid?
1: Ma'am. You and
2: your pig can't be here.
0: Is it that I can't
2: be here or that I'm not allowed to be here. Okay.
1: It's incredible. It made me laugh. It made me cry. Yes. Uh, it's. Yeah. I just. And it's the same directors as um, Swiss as Army Swiss Man. Swiss
0: Army Man. Yeah, the Daniels. <laughs>
1: And it's like
0: they knocked it out of the park.
1: That movie with made me feel film. similar to how Swiss Army Man did, where it's like I just a mess of emotions, and there's a lot to <laughs> dig into. And oh my god, everything, everywhere, all at once was just. It's I I think it's going to be a movie that's going to have some real staying power. I've seen yeah. some people lot... There's a weird. I, well, you're not on social media, but there's a. I'm on a <laughs> lot of movie pages. And there's a weird hatred for all things A24, the production company that put it out. Okay, and especially in the 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 world of um, of um, like horror groups, horror, and yeah. Because they they just like I don't know the, anyone who's been online who follows movie stuff has heard the term elevated horror.
0: Yeah,
1: and the the term elevated horror. Uh, you know, was originally meant for things such as, you know, I can't think of titles right now, like The Witch. The
0: Exorcist?
1: Yeah, uh, and, you know, they started attaching it to movies like The Witch and some of these more artsy horror films. Um, But, you know, elevated horror films have been around for such a long time. But people are just assuming that all things elevated horror are, like, shitty and terrible uh so there's this weird hatred for all things a24 there's a lot of people that say you know are saying everything everywhere all once is overrated and is going to be forgotten about i don't think this movie's going anywhere and i think it's going to stick with people for a very long time
0: if (laughs) i'm gonna say this and i'm going to give you the option to edit it out because i don't want to put anybody off i don't want to like i don't want to come off as
1: Oh, you're just assuming I'm cutting this episode? Or,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you what, if I'm cutting this episode, I'm going to run this edit by you because I, I really, I, I don't think that any one person's opinion of cinema is better or worse than anybody else's. So much okay, of, eh? of critiquing, so much of film analysis comes down to what you fucking like, and that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But. but but what you just described about the A24 hate, and I've seen it in other manifestations in other ways, it feels like that whole, like, that's too popular, therefore I don't like it mm-hmm. thing. You know, I'm cool because I like things that no one has ever heard of, and you've heard of, everybody's heard of the A24 stuff, therefore it's not as good. Mm-hmm. Like, I just get a little bit of that, like, Twinge thinking about that particular reaction, and like just because something is is mainstream, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not great. Yes, and just because it's something that nobody's ever heard of and is campy or or B movie or whatever, doesn't mean it's also not great.
1: Yeah, so very similar. And for very different reasons, but very similar to that of our last episode, Vertigo, the fact that something like Everything, Everywhere, All at Once got made with a big budget is a fucking miracle. Right. And I'm glad that weirdness yeah. like this movie is getting made on on in a big way.
0: Like, I... I could be very wrong about this, but I I suspect, my gut tells me, that the people that are shitting on this film, based on how you described it. Now again, I'm happily off social media, so I haven't been looking at the specifics of the critique.
1: That's why I'm on social media, is to keep you uh, up to date.
0: Keep me in the loop. Mm -hmm. I suspect if that same film was made underground with a tiny budget, same script, same cast, same crew, same everything else. They would love it. Yeah, because no one's ever heard of it.
1: Yep, one hundred percent.
0: And and that to me is flawed thinking, oh, like a flawed approach to whether or not a film is good or not.
1: Yep, and honestly, like I, I, I put it this way, um, I am I'm a big fan of A24. It's not to say that I've necessarily loved everything they put out, but I've liked. A lot of it. Um, it.
0: Show me a production company that that anyone loves everything that they put out, and holy shit, that would be a miracle. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, but I guess I'll put it this way: any company that that put that produced both Moonlight, which is one of the best discoveries, and I'd say discovery, even though it was a huge fucking movie, but I hadn't watched it until my buddy Jordan. Came on the show to to discuss it. Any movie, any company that puts money into and makes a movie as as brilliant as Moonlight, but then also produces something as weird as Kevin Smith's Tusk, is a company that I want to fucking support.
0: Right. Yes. Thank you I, I am on the same page as you and um...
1: like at some point and it's gonna be a very long time coming I would like to legitimately go through their entire filmography and just watch everything they put out just because yeah. I have liked maybe not loved but I've I've at least gotten something out of everything I've watched from them nice. So we stand a24 on this podcast <laughs> to use the <laughs> Absolutely. young lingo. They use the young people lingo. What what the kids are
0: saying nowadays. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's lit.
0: (laughs) For shizzle? (laughs) No, but sure. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Vyers, and with me, as always, is my bandmate... Nick Richards! Hey! I came up with something. On today's episode, me and Nick are going to be doing something a little bit different than our last episode where we talked about Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. (laughs) This week, we're going to be talking about a movie that I personally think is one of the greatest movies ever made.
2: (laughs) The only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing.
1: That's us, dude! From 1989, you have Directed by Stephen Herrick. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
0: Excellent! Nick,
1: I'm going to do something a little different. Do you want to give the synopsis of this film?
0: I would love to take a stab at it. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989 is what I would consider the quintessential 90s film and by 90s of course i'm talking about like 1986 to 1995 you know when you say the 90s it doesn't necessarily mean 1990 to 1999 uh-huh. um, with this kind of like california stoner uh i wouldn't even say comedy like milieu that was so so prominent when I was growing up. Um, so the the film is about two bandmates, uh, and I need to get these names right. Forgive me, I know I should know this, uh, but it was my first time. You Bill me- S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore, Theodore Logan. Logan. Uh, the, the two founding members of the Wild Stallions uh, are...
1: Wild stallion. are <laughs> interf- uh,
0: there, There's interference from a time traveler from the future, Rufus, um, because the future, the um, uh, what's the word? The the utopic future nice. is in jeopardy if Bill and Ted do not pass their history test. They,
1: The reason being is because then they would break up because uh, because Ted would have to go to military school in Alaska.
0: Right, right, right. Um, so Rufus gives them a time machine, a phone booth, which is clearly a ripoff of the TARDIS from Doctor Who, uh, sends them back to any time that they want where they are able to study first person these these events that have happened so they go around time gathering up historical dudes to put on the best history presentation ever save the band save the future and um live excellently with each other
1: can i add a little piece of detail that you might have missed
0: please do
1: (laughs) see it's not so hard (laughs) <laughs> not um, so easy. Sorry, it's not so, not so easy. Uh, so the reason why it's a big deal for them to pass this test is, as I said, if they don't, Ted is going to go to military school in Alaska, and then their band, the Wild Stallions, will break up, thus altering history because their band to, uh, want, uh, in the future becomes a paramount to music in the world and actually help uh, brings the world together and helps solve like it brings world peace and it changes the world. And without that, the world will fall into ruin.
0: I did say utopic. Well, you didn't explain
1: why. You didn't explain that they are the reason it's a utopia.
0: Are you getting all Hitchcock on me?
1: Yes. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, play the fucking trailer. (laughs) Whoever's editing this episode, play the fucking trailer.
0: Just play the fucking trailer.
2: (laughs) Now, a motion picture so grand, (gasps) so magnificent, And so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way. Way. Yes way. But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston. Who is Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? In the Iron Maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Burgess. How's it going, going And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Buddy, get together. Remember who your buddy is. To Trash. The 20th Century. We got a live one here. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter. Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother.
1: You a musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan!
2: Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Carlin. We're history. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's Excellent! Excellent! Excellent Adventure.
1: Party on, dude. All right, Nick. What did you think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure?
0: As somebody who listened to pop punk in the early 2000s, and somehow never watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I was very excited to see the Atari's reference—not not that they referenced Atari, the Atari's—but that band, the Atari's, the Ataris, Ataris. referenced um, San Dimas High School football rules. Um, that was a, a fun treat for me. Um, so, what did I think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure?
1: Yes. What did you think?
0: I was actually kind of blown away with how much I loved it. I was I was expecting to enjoy it in this kind of, pet, like, nostalgic,
1: like, yeah. It has, was it has no reason to be as good as fun, it is.
0: But it's better than it should be. Yes. And I really think that it comes down to the naive... Opti- like, optimism isn't quite the right word, but, like, they're always so positive about everything. They're like, this is totally gonna work out. This is... We're totally gonna do this. And they're idiots, but they're so <laughs> goddamn positive the whole time that it's hard not to love it all.
1: I know. It's It's... Anytime I watch it, it's... So it's a movie I I I I I, lo- I I I really liked as a kid, but it's weird. As I've gotten older, I've really grown to love it. Like, so there's never a point where I disliked the movie. Yeah. Well, but, it was
0: so ubiquitous for kids our age.
1: Yes, but like, like as you get older too, I just feel like there's there's there, it's it's one of those things like oh, this is a real fun concept. I like these characters. This is a lot of fun. But as you get older, especially. Once you start studying film, like we like we have, you also start realizing how well made the film is and how well right? written it is, and just like all the the reference, like you just think of it like I I almost find it insulting that Wikipedia has it listed as a stoner comedy because I just feel like that lowers it to a level where it's like no this film is 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 so fucking well crafted it is. Well,
0: And you just brought up, like, Dazed uh, Dazed and Confused in our last episode. There is, like, it's easy, it's very, very easy to not take this film seriously. Mm -hmm. And as kids, like, I definitely wouldn't have taken this seriously. And I'm sure most kids did not. But if you do take it seriously... It still kind of holds up
1: it does and it's it just it's endlessly fun and I last time I watched it, which was when we had, we were originally planning to do in this episode, I just had a smile on my face the entire time
0: <laughs> yes like they're it, so happy with themselves I could just
1: turn to it at any time and just be like, oh or I could legitimately turn to any three of them these movies and just be like I'm, I'm gonna have a good night." Yes. Because, like, there's there's movies I love, comedies I love that I can put on, and I still feel good while watching it, but it almost like their magic ha- is it, it, it's lost its magic a little bit. Not that I don't enjoy the movie anymore, but it's just, like, I know it so well that, like, you
0: know. It doesn't hit as hard as it yeah, used to. Yeah, but, like, Bill and
1: Ted's yeah. never lost that magic. <laughs> like, you know, like for example, when I was when I was younger, I really loved the movie Clerks. And I still yeah. watch it, I still yeah. enjoy it, but it's like, it doesn't hit the same way it does now. Bill and Ted still does!
0: Yeah. It's because God gave rock and roll to you.
1: <laughs> exactly. I I, I, I like, just rewatched it recently. It's like, I just... Like, one of my favorite, like, little character moments, and just how... Like you said, they're both dumb and optimistic at the same time, was, like, when Ted was saying to Bill, it's like... I was like, well, should we really be making a music video right now?
0: Ted, while I agree that in time our
2: band will be most triumphant, the truth is Wild Stallions will never be a super band until we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. Yes, Bill, but I do not believe we will get Eddie Van Halen until we have a triumphant video. Ted, it's pointless to have a triumphant video before we even have decent instruments. Well, how can we have decent instruments when we don't really even know how to play? That is why we need Eddie Van
0: Halen. And that is why we need a triumphant video.
1: Excellent! It's,
0: the thought process is also backwards yeah. and like filled with such naive. But like how uh, can naivety? we get Eddie
1: Van Halen if, if we don't know how to play our instruments? <laughs> oh, well, that's man. why we make the music video. <laughs> oh, okay. It's
0: you know, to a certain degree this film feels like a bunch of like middle-aged writers and producers going the kids will really love this but then they somehow created something that really fucking worked like like i think about the the end where this history report then turns into the rock concert for Mm -hmm. no good goddamn reason
1: God, like, I can, I got the feeling that that history report went on for like two hours, right?
0: Like I can see the the writing meeting beforehand where they're like, yeah, and then they'll go into this like righteous guitar solo, and because the kids would like, you know, it it seems rem- one step removed, or it feels like a parody mm-hmm. that was an unintentional parody. Yes, but that somehow, as it ages, like instead now feels like a distillation of what the what the '90s were, like what the '90s was to us kids. It it gets more accurate the further removed. It, it's the funny because like you said, are. it
1: feels like a parody, but it also is what kicked off a lot of these trends.
0: Yes, right. Like so, it's almost it's making fun not... of something that
1: hasn't happened yet. <laughs>
0: Which is very Bill and Ted.
1: But it's also like, that's kind of why I still think Heather's works so well, is it didn't want to date itself, so it created essentially its own lexicon and dialect (laughs) and way of dressing and way of doing things, and then that became a trend.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: Um, It's funny, so I'm looking up Bill and Ted, and I'm looking at the screenwriters, and it's written by two guys, Chris Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon. And looking at their writing credits, it's no wonder that I like this movie because they love, I like so many movies they've done. Like Chris Matheson, he wrote both Bill and, all three Bill and Ted movies. He wrote Mom and Dad Save the World. He wrote a Goofy movie. Um, Ed Solomon was one of the writers in Super Mario Brothers and Men in Black. Um, but what I found really funny is Chris Chris Matheson is the son of author Richard Matheson. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's beautiful!
1: And it's like, wait—you're the son of the guy who wrote some of the most iconic Twilight Zone episodes of all time, and wrote The Last Man on Earth. What? That guy—the <laughs> son of that guy—wrote Bill and Ted. I can see it. <laughs> yep.
0: But it—it it like like think about the whole time traveling history report element. If you took Bill and Ted out of that equation, that's a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Like if it wasn't set in San Dimas, California, in the late eighties, that's a Twilight Zone episode.
1: <laughs> oh my! god, There's this joke that still makes me laugh, and it 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 was a joke that clicked in high school um, when I was watching it one day, and I love they were like, "Okay, if we were Napoleon, where would we go? Waterloo." <laughs> and I was like, "That's funny."
0: <laughs> yeah. What's yeah.
1: <laughs> like, it clicked? I was like. Get that joke now. (laughs) Like, it's... I... I, I'm trying not to have this just be like, I liked this, I liked this, but, like, with Villain Dead, it's kind of hard to really have a a deep conversation about it. Um, But, like I said, I just, like, looking at it from a filmmaking standpoint, uh, and even a screenwriting standpoint, this movie is just... It's so well-crafted. It's got a really incredible, like, just three-act structure. Uh... Going back to what we were talking about, vertigo in its own way, it doesn't. It, you know, it, I feel like all the characters do have resolutions, and
0: yeah, they absolutely. they
1: they have a clear goal. Um, and it also doesn't get lost in its own time travelness, which a lot of time travel movies do. It all it all it's. I love that it uses time travel as a way to write themselves out of out of corners.
0: I I think what. <laughs> What is really, like, it's fun and interesting, but also really effective in this film is the whole idea of idiots time traveling. Yes! Like, when they're back in the in their uh, his dad's police station and they're like, oh, we're going to need a key for that. I know. We'll just, in the future, leave it for us here. Oh, here it is! Like, that like,
1: entire section just feels like the writers are like, how are we gonna get out of this? What are we gonna do? And just And how
0: many times weed into as, it. as filmmakers or a film enthusiasts of our age, have you gotten into a uh the rules of time travel conversation on, in films like Back to the Future and all the where everybody's like, oh no, and you got to do this in order to butterfly effect back around, and what version of time travel this is this movie one doesn't following? give a
1: shit about any of that.
0: Doesn't give a shit, and it works so be because Bill and Ted are who they are. Like, it becomes okay. To not fucking worry about the rules of time travel, which then allows you to just sit back and fucking enjoy a time travel movie without worrying about the rules. So
1: in screenwriting, there's a term called whiteboarding, where um, you might know this, but I'm explaining it for the people listening at home. Whiteboarding essentially is what you're doing. If you're sitting around, you you have a movie you want to make, and you have a a great concept. Like, okay, let's make a movie about... I don't want to say stoners, but, like, let's make a movie about idiots time traveling. Okay, what can <laughs> happen from there? Oh, okay, it'd be really funny if they went back to...
0: You know, it's build, brainstorming. Yeah, it's made.
1: brainstorming. <laughs> You're just putting all of your ideas up on up on the whiteboard and seeing what you have and putting it together. And I just really imagine they when they got to that section of the, of the police uh, uh, station, they're sitting there like, okay, they need to have... Like, how are they going to get the key? Well, they can't just sneak in because everyone knows them what if he just has the key in his pocket well how did he get that what if he used the time machine and it's like and then like like you
0: know there was somebody in that writing room who was like you can't do like that doesn't make that doesn't work for the and and they're like shut up it's bill and ted get over it
1: and i also love too that like and it doesn't feel like a moment that because I've written scripts myself where I come up with an idea, maybe not necessarily as clever as using a time machine to plant shit later on, <laughs> but I've come up with ideas that I thought were kind of clever, and I was like, "Oh, there's a good idea." And I, but then I didn't go back and plant the seeds for it. Bill and Ted does a phenomenal job of planting the seeds, like even like one of the early scenes is his, his dad's like, "Have you seen my keys?"
0: Right, and it's right. like you're like,
1: "What does that have to do with anything?" And then it plays in later like, "Oh."
0: You get a oh. a bit more of that same thing when oh, like, future sure Bill and Ted, and watch. right? When future Bill and Ted show up and they're like, "Oh, you're you know, oh cool, we're seeing each other," and then they're whispering to each other and they're not sure what they said, and um, then they get to see it. You go on their journey, and then you become viewers of them from the other perspective of that scene. It's it's surprisingly smart.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's like the Flintstones. How the Flintstones used to, c- used to construct their episodes where at the beginning of the episode, you'd see Fred and the conflict. Yeah. And then it would start the episode oh over, and you'd, you'd get to... You'd see how you got to that point. I would say, if, if I had to nitpick, the most unrealistic part of this movie is the simple fact that I don't believe Bill and Ted would remember to go and you know, set up all these traps. Because... Ted couldn't even remember to set his watch,
0: right. and he just
1: told himself. <laughs> like, I think there, actually that would have been a really funny moment if there was, like, one trap he forgot to set or something. I don't know. But I, I just love that every time they're like, what if we put a bucket there? And then a bucket appears. Like, <laughs> oh. That's like, oh, it's, that's such a clever way. It's, they're having fun of time travel. And it's not to say other movies with time travel aren't having fun. Like, Back to the Future is fun in a different way. Yeah, In a very it's like different the, they, way. Back to the Future is a fun time travel movie where they're trying really hard to stick to the rules of time travel. Bill and yeah. Ted is a fun time travel movie that doesn't give a fuck about the rules of time travel.
0: Most time travel movies take themselves seriously as most, most films take even themselves Even Back to the seriously. Future takes itself more That's seriously true.
1: than Bill and Ted does.
0: Absolutely. Like, Back to the Future took in themselves... <laughs> even though there are light moments, it took itself very seriously as a film. Yeah. Very seriously. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure at no point takes itself seriously. And that's the magic of it. It's not just exactly. that they're two... It's not just that they're two idiots who are time-traveling. The whole film does not take itself seriously at all. And that is why it works.
1: And I honestly, I feel like... there. I wish there was more movies that didn't take itself so seriously.
0: Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> My walk, my takeaway from this film, like the way that I would describe it, my elevator pitch for this film, if I were writing it, was it's Peabody and Sherman for stoners.
1: Yes, and while I don't <laughs> consider it a stoner comedy, that's a perfect no, way no. to describe it. Like because it's it's not a stoner comedy, but it's a, definitely a humor style that I think appeals to everyone. But yeah, yeah,
0: but that that kind of dumb, like it, uh, it's almost uh, like
1: how. Like, Kevin Smith's films were considered stoner comedies before he even was smoking pot. Because he had said, <laughs> like, he's like, my, I was always labeled as a like, pot smoker. My films were stoner comedies. And he's like, I didn't smoke until after I made Zack and Miriam make a porno. <laughs> Seth Rogen Though, introduced him to weed.
0: Nice. Though I would say I think the majority of the reason why the Red Bank films are considered stoner films is because of Jason Mewes, who is a huge stoner.
1: <laughs> but he's clean now, and that's what matters. Oh. He almost died from drug overdoses many times, so I'm glad he's clean.
0: Yes. Seth Rogen, however, is not.
1: Yeah. No, I remember hearing a story, like, Seth Rogen had an office at the Sony lot, (laughs) and they had to fumigate it. (laughs) Because, like, when when he he no longer had that office, someone was moving into it, and it just, they opened the door and it just reeked.
0: Yeah. Well, now he is, like, growing his own... Weed and selling like weed accessories. Like he has a whole separate side hustle. Yeah, where he is producing pot and pot accessories. Yeah, pot and, and pottery pot accessories and pottery. Like he's and got pottery. Some,
1: he's got really nice stuff.
0: Marijuana and marijuana accessories.
1: That <laughs> you just decide to go and Yeah. <laughs> so you had said you'd also watched. Um, Bill and Ted's bogus, bogus journey. journey. So tell, walk me through. So we're not going to go to a full breakdown. Bill and Ted's bogus journey uh, is the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which continues the story of Bill and Ted. Um, they're they're attempting to get their music career on track, and they have a big battle. <laughs> the band's coming. Um, but what ends up happening is there's this big bad guy that uses this this phone booth to go back in time. He builds some cyborg Bill and Ted's who end up killing Bill and Ted and taking over and sending Bill and Ted to hell.
0: But then the, the robot replacements are also, like, just like them in person, personality so that you get double the Bill and Ted deliciousness.
1: Exactly.
0: I also love how as as we have described it a film about idiots time traveling um how they also somehow dropped like a huge seventh seal reference with the death character
1: <laughs> oh yes like and that was a that was a reference i never got when i was younger
0: yeah but the the max von Sydow... um um, well, not not that he directed it, but he starred in it. Film The Seventh Seal, like, it's clearly a reference to that version of the Death character, the Grim Reaper character. And I love that
1: William Sadler played that role.
0: <laughs> and he's so... Committed. Funny! He's so funny. <laughs>
1: um, I'm on the Wikipedia page of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and I was just um, looking through stuff, and this section really makes me laugh so <laughs> can't wait the name station was the result of a leftover editing typo according to the movie's writers chris chris matheson and ed solomon they had cut a scene from the script labeled interior police station but had left station part dangling and as they were drunk at the time both found the saying station in a tiny martian voice was hilarious and the name stuck <laughs>
0: that's amazing
1: i just love that they were drunk and like this is so funny
0: (laughs) so and uh, to go back to the seventh seal reference like so for those of you who haven't seen it uh max von character plays chess with death and and it's has kind of that like you know the old devil at the crossroads like fighting for your soul kind of tone mm-hmm. to it. Except in Bill and Ted's bogus journey, they flip that into playing games like fucking Twister and Battleship and and Monopoly and things, which, again, for such a dumb comedy to make such a deep fucking, like, film nerd reference... Yep. ...is so beautiful.
1: It's, it's like when... Like, Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Entertainment... Um, you know, he makes movies like the Toxic Avengers and Class at Newcomb High and shit like that.
0: Romeo and Juliet.
1: Romeo and Juliet. But like when I sat down with him, we were talking about, um, like the films of Fellini and how yeah. much he loves French cinema. I'm like <laughs> I didn't see that coming, but I how, love it. How
0: does the guy that made those films mm-hmm. coming from that place? Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I, I I love that. <laughs> and I I know there was a like so they also made a, a a third film called Bill and Ted Face the Music and there was a lot of like intepidation going into it because people were worried that we'll live up to the first two especially so much time has passed and I honestly feel like it does. Uh, I truly think it's a uh, uh, as good of a third film as one could ever hope for for this franchise and it's interesting how. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is an incredible f- film. Um, I love Bogus Journey. I don't think it's as good as the second one, but I don't. I, think agree it's, with I don't think it's a bad film in any way. Yeah. Like they go, yeah. they're so hand in hand. And you know, if Excellent and I
0: would say for the era, it was a pretty good sequel. There were not a lot of great sequels coming out yeah. in this era.
1: So it's it's one of those things that, like if Excellent Adventure was supposed to stand stood alone. That would have been great. That would have been that would have been great. But then we were lucky enough to get Bogus Journey, um, and Bogus Journey also has no right to be as good as it actually is, and it just gets weirder and stranger, and in a good way. Um, and it just it really runs with who these characters are. It wasn't just a rehash.
0: Yes, it, it did bring new it, context. which expands
1: the world. Yes, and I think um, Bill and Ted faced the music does the same to the point where, like, it actually made me cry. Like, it's it's a really Aww. good movie. And now, the,
0: I have not yet seen it, Face the Music. It is to. on my to-watch list. I am excited to, to finally tackle that.
1: But. And what I think it does so well is it understands who these characters are. Okay. Um, and it understands, like, I guess I would, understand, I would say... It understands that these characters need to grow because in each one of these films, these characters, while still lovable idiots, have grown. Okay. And I think th- it has a really great conclusion. And, I can't wait to see it. And I think they could easily do a fourth one. Oh. Wow. Um, I will say, uh, not Bill and Ted will probably. Be, I, I could see them being in it, but in Bill and Ted Face the Music, I'm not I'm not going to spoil anything for you. They have they have they each have a daughter. And I think I could definitely see adventures with those two.
0: Okay. (laughs) Bill and Ted, the new
1: class. Yes. Yes. Bill and Ted, next generation. Yes. Bill Bill and Ted, junior high.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which I've got to say... Um, since, since you brought up the next generation, I don't know if any of our listeners realize this, but I enjoy Star Trek to a certain degree. I was actually
1: referencing Degrassi, but yes. Oh,
0: <laughs> were, were they next generation also? Yeah,
1: they had Degrassi the next generation.
0: Fuck. Which one came first?
1: Uh, like, all Star Trek definitely other? came first. Oh, okay. Well, Degrassi was around longer, but Star Trek, the next generation came before Degrassi. Okay. Okay. All right.
0: Um, so I've been watching some of the new CBS Star Trek shows, which I had not, I finally tackled, like, Star Trek Picard and, um, Discovery, um, and god damn are they good.
1: I want to watch them, but, like, I feel like I would get so much more out of them if I've seen more Trek.
0: I, I would agree, uh... And especially, I, Picard. I don't you need think to. It's, Yeah, Discovery. You could watch just like any of them. Yeah. Well, Picard, you need to watch Next Generation I, in order to fully appreciate some of the moments that they put in. I
1: got there. so pissed off that, as I like to watch things in order. Yeah. And I was watching through the original series and really enjoying it, and it was taken off a stream. At least taken off the streaming services I have. I don't yeah. have. Paramount Plus.
0: That's why I finally taved and got Paramount Plus for Star Trek.
1: But like I've been on, I've been looking. And granted, it's not that bad of a price. But I've been looking everywhere for for the for the Blu-ray because like the Blu-rays are not much more than the DVDs. And if I had to choose, if I had to pay like $10, 20 bucks more, I'd rather get the right. higher quality. Yeah. And it's like sixty bucks for the original series, which isn't terrible. But it's like I want to pay right now. And, mm-hmm. and then like because I've really wanted to get to this. My uh, my friend Nico. Who got into Star Trek? He got into it backwards because he he watched all the movies first and then went back to the TV shows.
0: The new movies,
1: all of the movies. He started okay. with the original Star Trek: The Motion Picture and watched all the watch all the films. and then went okay. back to the TV show. Oh, like, okay. but like I want to watch the movie. I don't. I just want to watch more Star Trek. Uh, but like I don't. Even though sixty bucks isn't that bad, and I paid more for less. It's like, it's, uh, is it at
0: the there's there's you know. Yes, it's not that much, but what are your purchasing priorities? Mm-hmm. You know, is Star Trek where you want to invest that sizable chunk of film, uh, yes. money?
1: Yeah, so like, um, now this is becoming another Star Trek episode. But, <laughs> um, and then you know what's actually a surprisingly really good show if you like Star Trek? The Orville.
0: I have heard that. I know it's like this beautiful love letter to Star Trek.
1: Like It's definitely got some of Seth MacFarlane's humor, but it is a beautiful love letter to Star Trek.
0: I'm really interested in Star Trek Lower Decks.
1: Oh, the cartoon? Yeah! The,
0: the The new animated version that's like all of the people that don't matter at all in the, like, Starfleet hierarchy. They're all of the low-ranking I ensigns. love that
1: something like that exists. And honestly, that's my issue with Star Wars. I wish Star Wars would start doing stories about people who don't matter.
0: Right, right. It's such a departure for Star Trek, and I'm really excited. I have not started watching that yet, but I'm yeah. excited, too.
1: Well, let's, let's, let's get your final thoughts on Bill and Ted, hmm? and then I I, I want to talk about uh, something I've watched, and then um, a awesome. movie i got to review real quick. So, final um, thoughts on Bill and Ted.
0: Final thoughts. It was... It Here's the thing. If you've already seen Bill and Ted, then you already have your feelings on it. So, I'm going to specifically be talking to those who have not seen any of the Bill and Ted films, as as was my experience. I never saw the film when I was younger just because of circumstance, mm-hmm. right? You don't actively like, oh, I'm going to make sure I see all of these while they're hot when you're 10 years old. Yes. You know, you just watch whatever your parents put on or, yep. or you like the cover of it blockbuster before your sleepover, you know, that's... And then, as I got older, it didn't seem worth my time to watch a film about idiots, <laughs> right? Like there, there's so many things I that I could watch.
1: So funny, <laughs> I don't have time to watch a movie about idiots.
0: Like it's not that I was avoiding it; it's just that, like <laughs> oh, Bill and night. Ted versus Citizen Kane. You know what? I should probably see Citizen Kane. Bill and Ted versus The Godfather. You know what? I should probably. I don't want to see the all Godfather. these crossover movies. Bill and Ted. Versus Apocalypse Now. Well, I should probably watch Apocalypse Now. Bill and Ted
1: versus You're the Hunter from the Future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that one I saw That's No, that's fair. Like, that was something that somebody else said, we're putting this on right now, and forced me to watch I'm like, okay, I'm in. I love it. Bill and Ted never was going to make it to the top of the list unless it got pushed through to me for some reason.
1: What pushed it through? So,
0: I can't remember if it was this show or my wife. Okay. I think it was Raina. It was like, yeah, no, you gotta see Bill and Ted. I'm like, okay, let's watch it. I was always down to watch Bill and Ted. I was never avoiding it. I was never like, no, I'm not gonna enjoy that.
1: It just hadn't come up.
0: There was just always something more important to watch, seemingly, having not seen the films. So for those in my position, my former position, I would say... It is worth your time to watch this film. It is, it's not a brilliant film by any means. It's not a life-changing film. But it is so much more than just a film about two idiots. Yes. Is that, does that feel right? No, I
1: think that that's 100%. Cool. Right, and what I will say is it's a film that knows exactly what it is. <laughs> and it plays to it plays to its strengths.
0: Yes. Yeah. Very well said. It's not
1: trying to like let's make a movie about idiots, but make it, but make it more than that. It's like no, we are making a time travel movie about idiots, and let's make the best fucking time travel movie about idiots we can.
0: It it actually uses that to its benefit. Yes. It, it's like
1: it's like how The Simpsons is able to sneak in so many uh, interesting references because my ass. Yeah, it, because it's not trying too hard. Yes, yeah.
0: It it like lures you in with the easiness of it, and then hits you with like surprisingly smart references and quotes and things that you're like, whoa! I did not expect to feel that way in this film. <laughs> or
1: like it's something as dumb as like when Sigmund Freud is like, "Do you want to try?" And he goes, "No, I've just got a slight edible complex." <laughs>
0: Oh, that was a whole part of the film that I forgot about. Man, they hit that adipose complex real hard.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Missy. I mean, Mom. <laughs> it
0: is just... It is a film... And I'm
1: glad that that joke continued in Bogus Journey, but re- yes. reversed. It, or in a different way.
0: There is a lot to... It's dense. There, There is actually a surprising amount of content Mm -hmm. there and bogus journey is not which again most in my opinion most sequels from this era were just cash grabs that did not appreciate what made the original film special Mm -hmm. and this is an exception to that in that era where it understood what made the first one work and it didn't just make Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Part Two. It gave them a new leg of the adventure.
1: Mm-hmm. It opened um, it up.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, so in, for that reason alone, I would give Face the Music uh, a chance. But there's a lot of other reasons to do it too. I really enjoyed my Excellent Adventure, and I also enjoyed my Bogus journey.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad um so yeah that's um that's bill into oh and i guess one thing i will say if uh not that you need more reasons to check out (laughs) face the music but it was also directed by the director of galaxy quest
0: uh which i have not seen
1: (laughs) okay normally i would not feel like we need like we need to do a galaxy quest episode but as a star trek fan we have to do a galaxy quest episode that's our next episode (laughs)
0: What I loved was watching your face throttle from the, what, you haven't, which is kind of the base concept of this podcast, right? Yes. It's, it's that whole thing where when you admit that you haven't seen something, and then somebody reacts with, what the, f- you haven't seen that? You have to see that, like, we've yes. all been in that situation, and it's uncomfortable, and so watching you go from like, what, you haven't seen, nope, I'm gonna, we we should do an episode we on that. Dal- that That is really yes. fun. <laughs> All right. We'll add galaxy Quest to the list.
1: Okay. It doesn't have to be the next one. I just didn't want to yeah. forget about it. Um, so, yeah. So, before we wrap up, there's a couple things I want to talk about. First off, so we talked a little bit earlier about uh, Star Trek. And, granted, I've not watched any of the new Star Trek, but you're talking about what you find appealing about the new Star Trek shows and how they're expanding the world. And... And I kind of lamented that I wish Star Wars would do the same, yeah. and it was made even more evident. So on Disney+, Plus, me and Amanda just watched Obi-Wan Kenobi, okay. which one, yep. I have to say, is a terrible title for a TV show. We'll just call it, like, Old Ben or something. Like, why is Obi-Wan Kenobi? It's a terrible name for a show. Um, <laughs> but then, like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was Okay.
0: Now there is a name I haven't heard in a long time. But
1: my issue with it is, and don't and don't talk until you finish chewing and everything, just because we've well, we've gotten complaints. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I
0: haven't had
1: com- dinner yet. No, neither have I. But I'm just saying, like I will finish my thought.
0: So I was trying to be quiet with
1: my chewing. I appreciate it, but I just wanted to at least mention it, and I'll cut some of that out. Um, so. Obi-Wan Kenobi, my issue with what Disney's doing is, one, they will not, other than The Mandalorian, and even that kind of broke this rule, they cannot get themselves away from the fucking Skywalker stories. And now they're just trying to fill in the gaps in between every movie, and it it ruins any sort of tension. Like, I was enjoying Obi-Wan Kenobi- for the most part but then i just kept sitting there watching like why am i watching this why is this important it removes all stakes from it because okay it's a mo- it's a show about obi wan kenobi saving young leia who was kidnapped well we know leia not gonna fucking die we know <laughs> obi wan Kenobi's not gonna fucking die so it removes all the stakes and then i'm just sitting here like why do i care about this and you mind if i spoil it a little bit for you
0: no, please,
1: There's a, away. So there's a big face-off near the end with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. And they have this big face-off, and, well, we know that no one's going to die in this, uh, but they have a, a big face-off, and Obi-Wan Kenobi essentially beats the fuck out of Vader and lets him go. They
0: probably won't come back to bite him in the butt. And
1: it pisses me off for that reason alone, because it's like, one, it, it, it ruins Obi-Wan's character. Because, like, yeah, oh, he's not going to kill his former apprentice, but you've just fucking damned the entire galaxy.
0: You you allowed four, episodes four, five, and six to happen.
1: Yes. And okay. granted, the one could say, well, he didn't know that was going to happen. Yes, you did. Because he is, even in this movie, in this show, he is considered, like, the baddest fucking bad guy in in the galaxy. And you let him live, and that ruins your character. And this is my issue with Disney feeling like we need to have, we need to explore every single moment that we haven't seen in the movies is because it's just actually now, at this point, hurting characters.
0: Well, and what makes it kind of an extra sinful Mm -hmm. is that the star wars universe is so infinite
1: there's so much you could do with it
0: that why do we keep coming back to this one storyline it's the same problem that i had with episode seven Mm -hmm. they're building the death star for a third time well we better blow up the death star for the third time like you couldn't have come up with any other like I was okay with them rebuilding the Death Star for Return of the Jedi. It kind of still felt okay, but now you're just rebuilt. Like, why are you retelling the building of the Death Star story? Mm-hmm. I there. Yes, that storyline was good. But if you're not going to explore some different story, why are you making another Star Wars show or movie?
1: Yeah, and it's like, I feel like there's things we could have done with the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi in between episodes 3 and episode 4 that didn't include Vader, that didn't include uh, Princess Leia, that didn't include Luke. And I
0: feel like the Mandalorian succeeded at that the Mandalorian yeah, kind of went off on its own but
1: even that kind of like shit the bed a little bit near the end when the of course Luke Skywalker has to be the one that shows up comes. that's
0: true I'll give you that I yeah. like that
1: and then like I don't know
0: like I for me it didn't ruin the it Mandalorian it didn't ruin
1: it but but it lost a little for magic. all
0: of the people that were like yay Luke Skywalker I was like eh. if you if you took that out mm-hmm. I probably would have liked it more
1: yeah Me too. Yeah. Um, So I just had to get that off my chest because, like, I, you know, while I didn't really like the Boba Fett TV show, at least it was trying something. I only
0: got about halfway through it. Terribly
1: unsuccessful and boring, but it tried.
0: I enjoyed what I saw so far, but I don't know where it went. Well, and
1: I will say, another spoiler. At one point, they just kind of, like, lose faith in Boba Fett as a character. And then there's, like, a whole episode that's essentially a mini-season of The Mandalorian where they just kind of bring Mando back in.
0: (laughs) Nice. Okay, yeah, I didn't get that far. (laughs)
1: Um, So, yeah, like, I'm glad to hear that Star Trek is thriving. I grew up always liking Star Wars more. But, I don't know, as I'm getting... Like, and I feel like, in my heart of hearts, that might always, that might even just be my always might be my slight preference. But I've been far more interested in watching Star Trek.
0: Well, and this goes uh, again. I think one of the you said we've done like what 130 episodes, give or take. Yep. I I think the big takeaway for me is how influential nostalgia is on your taste in film and television, like how impactful it is on the experience you have watching anything. And so what you loved as a kid, even though you're kind of saying right here that you think Star Trek is doing a better job at providing.
1: Granted, I've not seen any of it. I'm just going off a of word sure. of mouth. I'm going off sure. of word of mouth.
0: Um, But that you still acknowledge that, yeah, Star Wars will probably always hold that special place in your heart, right? That's nostalgia speaking. Mm -hmm. That's you fell in love with something a long time ago, and that will carry you through, possibly until your dying day. That's
1: why we can never break up, Nick. Nostalgia.
0: (laughs) I never would.
1: (laughs) We're gonna make it work! Yes, we will! Uh, (laughs) Um... But I imagine to an extent well actually and it's it's funny how granted you know trek fans better than I do um
0: i I wouldn't say I know trek fans better
1: but it's uh, but
0: I know the the material much better
1: it's it's funny how like nostalgia doesn't seem to play as much a factor amongst a lot of Star Trek fans. Uh, made evident by the simple fact that like when J.J. Abrams made his Star Trek movies, they were like first one to be like, "Okay, I'm out, fuck you." <laughs> like they're not just gonna like, "Oh, it's Star Trek, and I'm gonna watch it." They're like, "No, nope, this sucks." I'm well, done. well,
0: not necessarily because nostalgia could be exactly why they didn't. Oh, love that's it, a fair because point. because it took it in in a too different of a direction.
1: That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. I actually liked those movies, and those are the movies that. Kind of, I didn't, I should say I liked the first one, I don't know how I felt about the second one, never saw the third one, but I liked the first one enough that it was like, hey, there's something to this, I wanna, I'm a little more interested in checking on Star Trek now, and then, uh, before our first episode, I had some interest in it, and then our epi- our episode on Next Generation is kinda like, well, I wanna go check this out, but I wanna start from the beginning, and. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I did like the J.J. The J. Abrams films. I kind of see them as a little bit of a separate thing. I
1: love that Star Trek worked that into the continuity, though. It is a different timeline. Nope. Yep. But also, yep. because the and movies did themselves, the same timeline.
0: And I think that is exact... Like, they framed it in a way... Had they not framed it that way, I would probably have more issues with it. That's a better way to Star it. Star
1: Trek is... Was doing multiverse shit before anyone else. With, yeah. Like, different timelines, yeah. and... There's another place that, like, is finding time, is using time travel to its advantage.
0: Yep. Um, also, I have always respected the acting of Patrick Stewart. I think he's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, Audrey's coming to say hello. Hi, Katie. Um, but goddamn, in Star Trek Picard, he is knocking... He, he is doing such an incredible performance. And like you were saying with Bill and Ted in Face the Music, I was impressed with how much they let the character of Jean-Luc Picard evolve, Mm -hmm. change. You can see how age and the circumstances that they set up between the end of Next Generation and the start of Picard, how it has changed that character. Mm -hmm. And... As a result, you're getting a different version of Jean-Luc Picard that still feels contiguous. Like, it doesn't feel like a departure from the character. You can see exactly how Jean-Luc Picard became this. It still feels like the same character, but he is making different decisions than he would have in Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the last thing that I'll say on it is there is a moment in the series where, um, so in this um, storyline, Data has, and, and this is because of something that happened in a movie, I think, it's kind of hard to keep it all straight, there's so much, um, Data has died. Okay. Um, but he has what you would consider daughters in this. So one of Data's daughters asked Picard, um, I want to get the order of it right, so give me just a second. He goes, what did you think of Data? Like, what was your opinion of Data? Who, who was he? He made us all laugh. Except when he was trying to make us laugh.
2: And you loved him. I, uh... Yes, in my way.
0: And it's so beautiful. And then she goes, well, what do you hope that he would think of you? And Patrick Stewart gives this performance in this moment that's like, oh, shit. I never thought about it that way. Without saying any words, it's just a look that that immediately made me cry. And then you get this self-reflection of like, who do somebody that you respect in your life that's no longer with you, what do you hope they would see in you?
1: That's interesting.
0: And watching him destroy, well, I hope he would see that I was this. And that scene, like, rocked me to my core. I cried. It was so beautiful.
1: That sounds great. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm excited to, to keep working my way through Star Trek because, like, I was just about to in season uh, the original series. I was just about to get onto like that big two part episode. I think the the man trap. I think it was it was called. Yeah, yeah. And like that's when it was taken off of all the streaming services. Fuck. <laughs> like I knew about that episode. Future so, referenced that episode,
0: with the exception of the new CBS series, which there's like four of them now. Um, I had seen all of the Star Trek series multiple times, with the exception of the original series, which I've talked about in previous episodes, um, and I finally watched through it all, I think the first season there was a bit of a barrier for me. As a Trekkie who had never seen the original series, the first season of of the original series is a little hard to get through but it does get better. Yeah, I would say there's it there, there's
1: highlights in it as I'm watching yeah, through absolutely. It. It's a little inconsistent. Yeah. But like when it works, it works so well.
0: And and when you find when I finally did watch it, it was like okay, now I understand the launching pad that led to all of these other series that I love so much. Mm-hmm. And and as we've said before, like it's hard to to like watch something from the past and put it in context especially when it branches out into other things um which made it further challenging to sit down and and watch it in that context um but yeah it, i'm i'm so glad i finally got through it and it set the foundation for all the things that i fell in love with later
1: yeah well, I'm going to change topics real quick. So,
0: so that was Bill and Ted's yeah. adventure.
1: <laughs> I got one last thing I want to talk about, and then um, I got to go get some fucking food. All right. And I still got to run the Target before they close. Um, so normally I do these on TikTok, but I thought we're doing an episode. I might as well just review it here.
0: We're back together, baby.
1: Yeah. So I got something new in from my good friends over at Vinegar Syndrome, one of our sponsors. Ooh. And I got this movie in called Shriek of the mutilated and fun <laughs> fact let me read the ba- well, let me first say fun fact about me there is a subgenre of horror that i absolutely love and that is the bigfoot movie <laughs> <laughs> i love bigfoot movies uh, and this movie falls perfectly into that so back of the box nice. shriek of the mutilated says anthropology professor dr prell Invi- I'm already
0: on board. Has by in- the way, <laughs> has
1: invited his class to a remote cabin in the mountains to research the mythical abominable snowman. Soon after they arrive, strange events begin to befall the students, including sightings of a huge, white, furry creature. When several members of the group go missing, only to be discovered dead, their bodies, their bodies horribly mangled. Fears mount that the legendary monster is very real and out for blood. But is it? But is everything as simple as it appears? Low rent gore, bizarre twists, and one of the strangest looking versions of Bigfoot in cinema history. That is true, but the weirdest (laughs) is still um, the man who killed uh, Hitler and then the Bigfoot. That's right. That is. I have
0: not seen that, but uh, that is the the title alone. That is the strangest
1: looking Bigfoot, and it's also probably the best Bigfoot movie I've ever seen. Uh, Michael Finlay's Shriek of the Mutilated has earned and lives up to its reputation as one of the quintessential pieces of early 70s drive-in filmmaking. Produced and co-written by Ed Adlam, who did Invasion of the Blood Farmers, and photographed by Roberta Roberta Findlay, who did a couple of the pornos that I reviewed early on in this show. (laughs) Uh, Vinegar Syndrome is excited to bring this 42nd Street Classic to Blu-ray in its fully uncompressed and untampered with original version Newly restored in 4K from its recently unearthed 35 mm camera negative. So, as I said, I fucking love Bigfoot movies, and I, I, I have something about people going in the woods to just, to like chase down these creatures. I don't know; it always works on me, even though when it's bad, even when it's great, because they're not usually great. Um, but I Harry I, and the Hendersons. Harry and the Hendersons is great. It um, is. <laughs> it fucking works, but. So I'm going to – anyone out there who truly wants to see Shriek of the Mutilated and not have it be spoiled, please turn this off now because the only way I can really talk about why this movie is interesting is by spoiling it. So <laughs> you've been warned. So Shriek of the Mutilated at first is, like I said, a, a, a Bigfoot movie. These kids go out to go out to this remote island. Um, that only way on it is through is via a bridge and their professor takes them out there and there's a guy living on the island in this nice big house who um, – who kind of is a caretaker out there. And he's like, yes, this creature has been sighted and he's stuck here and he can't get off this island and we're going to investigate him. So he brings all these college students out with him and, um, they're looking for Bigfoot. And there's like these, these, these elements of, uh, uh, racism in the film because it is very misguided with its depiction of Native Americans and shit. So that's really troublesome. but, these, these students keep getting picked off one by one, but uh, the professor is, um, is very optimistic and he keeps feeding them this weird meal that this Native American guy is cooking for them. The big twist in the film is you find out that Bigfoot's not real. Why they've all been lured to this island is that they are actually a cannibal cult. Ooh. And they lure these kids to this island to kill them off. And they're using the Bigfoot lie as a way to remove suspicion. Okay. But they actually do... And
0: have an explanation for their deaths, I'm guessing.
1: exactly. And then it becomes a cannibal cult film. And it just has a crazy 180 turn that I was not expecting... And I was just in for the right – it's not a great movie, but I was so invested in this movie. It's like I was enjoying this back when I just thought this was a a Bigfoot movie because the first time you see Bigfoot, you see him fully. It's like that's a weird-looking Bigfoot. And then when you find out, it's because it's a guy in a fucking costume. It's like (laughs) that's why it looks like a guy in a costume because it's supposed to be a guy in a costume. And I was just fully invested in it. And uh, Vinegar Syndrome – Said so this this release was, was newly discovered. This thirty five millimeter camera negative, it looks incredible. Um, it is an, like there's very little debris. Um, it the colors pop. I, I think it's an incredible looking uh, flick. Sound is two mono. It's it's a little rough, but it's you know old elements from a low budget film from the seventies. Like what do you expect? But the reason this film is worth a buy, Roberta Findlay, the the camera person on this film does and does a interview and she does a commentary and she's so delightfully candid her commentaries on her porn films were really interesting too because she didn't have like this great desire to get into porn she kind of just fell into it um but she was married to the guy michael finlay who directed this film and she talks about how she had no intention of shooting this film she had no idea even how to run a camera but he (laughs) needed someone to shoot it and just kind of threw it in her hands so it's interesting because she beca- she would go on to become a very prolific cinematographer in porn because she has a very unique eye and knowing it's because she had no formal training in how to shoot. But what's interesting, so she
0: was able to skirt around all of the rules.
1: Yes, but what makes this also interesting about these interviews is she's very very candid because <laughs> she was like. Uh, her husband, Michael Finlay, died in, like, 1979. He was location scouting on the roof of a, hotel, uh, I think, a building, and a helicopter came down and cut him in half.
0: Holy shit!
1: Yeah! Uh, and she talks about, it's like...
0: <laughs> he died like he lived.
1: In half? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but she talks about in the interview that, like, you almost wonder, like, you, you could definitely get the feeling that marriage would not have lasted. Um, <laughs> because she was like, yeah, Michael, back when I met him, he was making these films, uh, these really grotesque gore films about women getting cut up. And I, and she's like, I feel like if he wouldn't discovered filmmaking, he would have been doing this for real. like <laughs> And just like, she's oh. this rough, like, old woman just, like being very candid. She's like, yeah, I don't remember making this film. I really had no interest in doing it. And it's like, Jesus Christ. So her <laughs> candid interview about making Shriek of the Mutivated is phenomenal. And, um, she did this porno film called Mascara and her commentary on there, which I never thought I'd sit through a commentary for porno, but it, it is incredible. Makes this a must buy. Honestly, I truly believe nice. that. So the special features, there's, it's, um, brand new commentary track with cinematographer Roberta Finway. Um, there's a, 13-minute feature called Yeti Again. Uh, <laughs> that is an interview with Roberta Finley. That's the one I'm talking about. That's great. Uh, so bad, so great. A brand new interview with producer and co-writer Ed Adlam. Uh The wilds of Westchester, the locations of Shriek of the Mutilated, which I had a lot of fun with. And there's an audio essay by cryptozoology author David Coleman about the history of Bigfoot cinema. So, I don't know. This hits all my sweet spots. Shriek you of the Mutilated. I so excited it's, talking about this movie. It's, it's, you know, on Letterboxd, you can get something a star rating, but then you can put the heart. Like, yep. let's be real. This movie is probably a two, two and a half, no more than three star movie, but it gets a fucking heart.
0: I actually went through recently, I I mentioned before how um, I went through and updated my letterbox. I went through and hearted the ones that, you know, kind of, regardless of the quality of the film, which ones meant, like, just hit me in a sweet spot. And yeah, there are one-and-a-half-star films that did a heart, and then there are five-star films that did a heart, but there are five-star films without a heart. Yeah. Like, it's interesting. I kind of use
1: it as rewatchability, what I would be likely to buy, and it's also not to say that, you know, just because it has, doesn't have a heart doesn't mean I didn't like it. It's right. just not a yeah. heart-worthy movie.
0: Yeah, the ones that, like, this one has a special place inside of me, mm-hmm. regardless of how good or bad the film was
1: exactly but that's streak of the mutilated i think i've hit my wall nick
0: the only thing that i'll uh tap it off with is um so i had a, a writing and filmmaking partner for a long time um who was my cousin and and uh love him to death and we've made a lot of really interesting things together we had this running joke that we wrote during one of our writing sessions not that we ever intended to turn it into a film, but we just thought it was a, this funny pre- premise. Given that there's different Bigfoot uh, legends, right? The the abominable snowman Yeti version, and the Pacific Northwest Bigfoot, and the you know all of these different versions of the story. Um, we came up with this concept about like the uh, Bigfoot family reunion. Where, like, all of these different Bigfoot myths from around the world would get together and, like, put on the shirts that they had printed for the day, and they'd play, like, tug of war and things. And then, like, you know, after a nice weekend together, then they'd go back to their respective uh, woods. I love it. And and so was the Bigfoot family reunion. We came up with a theme song for it. I (laughs) love
1: it. It's uh, always been my dream to make a Bigfoot movie. movie.
0: Oh nice. Well uh, maybe me, you and Mike can get together and make the Bigfoot family reunion. Honestly,
1: let's be real. If I were to make a Bigfoot movie, it would just probably be a rip off of Jaws, but with Bigfoot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna need a bigger tree stand? Yurt. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna need a bigger yurt. (laughs) Oh, we we rewatched Jaws the other day and goddamn that movie gets better and better. It does. It's
1: never it's another movie that's never lost its charm.
0: Yeah, oh, that scene where they're in the boat at night, like sharing, like showing each other their stars, and then he tells that story about um, the when he was in the war. The USS Indianapolis. In the water. Oh, god, that scene is so fucking good.
1: It's incredible. Yeah.
0: All right. All right, man. Ugh. I think uh, if you're not done with that, I guess I have two words for you.
1: Watch movies!
0: movies. (laughs) The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McClain. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.